talk about this plan of yours. I think it's good, except it sucks. So let me do the plan, and that way it might be really good. Wow. It's Good Except It Sucks, a movie-by-movie and television series-by-television series hurtled through the Marvel Cinematic Universe. This time, we're taking a look at Captain Marvel, released in February 2019, when, if you preferred, you could have gone to see Ken Loach calling Tom Watson the biggest threat to the future of the Labour Party, Martin Scorsese's show-up Coca-Cola commercial, or Jennifer Aniston celebrating her 50th birthday with several of her exes instead. I'm Tim Worthington, and here's what I had to say about Captain Marvel when I live-tweeted my Marvel Cinematic Universe rewatch. A good, solid film, despite what dim-wit men might have to say on the subject. The 90s period detail gags really add to it, none more so than the initial Kree Academy scenes, which look like something out of Tech War or the endless next-gen spin-offs. That's what I had to say about it, though, and joining me to give her thoughts on Captain Marvel is writer Una McCormack. Una, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Una McCormack, where I'm, I'm usually just being grumpy about things and, and swearing a bit, I think, like most people do on Twitter. Or else find me on my website, which is unamccormack.co.uk. So before we go any further, Una, what happens in Captain Marvel? What happens in Captain Marvel is that patriarchy is punched out. And that <laughs> makes me a very happy woman. <laughs> Is that a sufficient plot synopsis for you? That is, because that's exactly as it should be, and that's all I expected from this film. But Una, how much did you know about Captain Marvel before you saw it? I knew practically nothing. I know very, very, very little about the Marvel Universe. Partly, I think, because when I was a young girl, in, back in the you know the distant times, I never really felt comics were for me. I felt they were a boy's thing, so I never got into them. One of my older siblings had some things like Fantastic Four comics, and I, I read those, and I really, really loved them, but I never felt like it was something... I could get into. So I never really got into the MCU either until I took on a PhD student, a creative writing student. She's writing an incredible fan fiction novel set in the MCU. And I took her on because I, I know a fair bit about fan fiction. I was supervising a novel and I thought, well, I'd better watch the Marvel Universe because, you know, <laughs> make an effort. And, and I've loved them. I've really enjoyed them. You know, I think some are better than others. I think a couple of the early ones are weak. But Captain Marvel, I uncomplicatedly think 
think is completely brilliant. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned that you thought comics weren't for you because the actual backstory with the... Well, it's better to say in terms of the comics that Carol Danvers' character because she's changed her name a number of times over the years. Now, as most consistently being Captain Marvel, but when she first appeared in the late 70s, it was a time when... I mean, they didn't always get it right, as I'll come back to in a second, but Marvel were always quite progressive, really mm. ahead of the time in a lot of ways. In the 70s, they started to bring in a lot of strong female characters and Ms. Marvel, as she was originally, was an attempt at doing, I suppose, a second wave feminism character. With the Ms. and everything, yeah, they're really trying there, aren't they? <laughs> well, they really were. The problem was, I won't dwell on this too much because I don't want to go into the details of it for various reasons because, you know, people listen to this to be entertained, but it was mostly men writing it and they got some things wrong and they got one brave, daring storyline very, very horribly wrong. It wasn't done the right way at all. And the feminist writer Carol A. Strickland wrote a, you know, even as much as I love, and she loves comics herself, wrote a fantastic essay in the late 70s, taking down this storyline. You can now find it on her website where she's written a new introduction, basically saying, I stand by my point, but I'd argue it in a different way these days. But to be fair to everyone involved, it was an attempt to push things forward. And I remember being captivated by Ms. Marvel when I was really young, because she joined the Avengers quite quickly. And it seemed very, very different to have. I mean, you can't say Black Widow, Scarlet Witch, etc. weren't strong female characters, but to have somebody that independent as powerful as all the men you know because quite often the female ones didn't have abilities as such yeah they they just had skills and it's telling that you said that you know there weren't women writers doing it because i think it's really and this continues to be a problem less so i think but continues to be a problem that works for all kinds of representation is that you can be really well-meaning and be trying really 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 hard and be compassionate and empathic and all round a complete mensch and you could still just get it really wrong (laughs) yeah and all it takes is for and and it's not just one woman in the room actually because one woman in the room all the burden this goes for any group all the burden falls on them and it's hard you can't always be the outlier it needs to be a kind of swing in the pendulum a sort of a shift in gravity you need more than one to be able to say "Mm, not that or yeah i don't think so and not always for it to fall on the same person but it doesn't surprise me that they even trying they may have made some cock-ups. <laughs> but I think generally the MCU on various representation fronts has more or less got that right. And I mm-hmm. think Captain Marvel is one of the high watermarks of that. And it sounds like you agree, really, which I'm really glad about. I mean, absolutely. And as, as I say, I'm not well-versed. I'm not I'm not going in with any particular accent. I just want to watch films that don't make me feel... Well, I just want to participate in arts and culture and literature that doesn't leave me feeling slightly rubbish as a woman (laughs) and a lot of what you have to do when you're sort of shoveling your way through any kind of art culture literature is you kind of have to switch a little bit of yourself off and go I've just got to ignore that frustrating thing or even that indignity or that thing that hurts me nothing about this film hurts me I rewatched it the other day and I think the first 90 seconds you know I could just sit and watch them I could just sit and watch Annette Benning with that gun it does something to my brain it makes me feel better about things I could just watch the two of them on screen those opening 90 seconds I just feel better for it and that's even before we've got into everything about this film that I think is feminist and it's just a delight I never thought I'd see films like I never thought I'd see a mass market mainstream 
mainstream film that delivered like this and delivered so well. Ghostbusters does it. I haven't seen Mad Max Fury Road, which I think I ought to. Wonder Woman, I was disappointed for various reasons. I think it's not sufficiently. I think it hasn't been woman-centred in its creation to the same extent. But this just knocks it out of the park. It's brilliant. There's an interesting background to the film just in itself anyway, because obviously, you know, Captain Marvel is one of the biggest characters in Marvel, and she's conspicuous by her absence so far. I mean, my theory is that, given that we're doing the Infinity Gauntlet storyline, that as she more or less does in the film that follows this, she could have just stopped it outright. Yeah, And I yeah. think that's why they held her back, because apparently, very early on, there were plans for her to be in Avengers Age of Ultron, which were dropped, and also, at one one point she's considered to be a regular character in Jessica Jones as in mm. you know she is one of Jessica's friends in the comics and that was abandoned I think it was to hold her back to give us that amazing ending to Infinity War where Nick Fury calls her on his pager just as he disappears yeah yeah, yeah. that was a lovely moment being in the cinema recognizing her logo and realizing yeah most of the people watching this won't know what that means woman is the weapon the woman is the game changer it's absolutely blissful you know uh, what do you want the weapon no, I want the woman. <laughs> she is the weapon. That's what changes it. That's what changes everything. I have quite a funny story about not seeing Captain Marvel in the cinema. I was really looking forward to it. I booked IMAX tickets and I was really, really looking forward. I, d- I kind of blocked out an afternoon. And during the course of the day, I watched my other half develop a case of chicken pox, which meant that he couldn't go and do the school run. And I didn't get to see Captain Marvel at the cinema in IMAX as we kind of went, do you know, I don't think we can let you out of the house so I always throw this in because he'd seen it at some festival in the States he'd seen it I, I didn't get to see it in the cinema so I'm a, I'm a little bit I'm a little bit it's a standing joke but I always I always bring it up <laughs> it's a bit kind of foreshadowing what's happened now with all the Marvel films being pushed back because you know people can't really go to cinemas and also it makes me think of because I've recently recorded the Infinity War Endgame Spider-Man Far From Home ones thinking that it isn't that long since I was in the cinema watching all of them and it feels yeah. like a very long time ago now it really really does i'm not sure i can actually remember the last film i saw in the cinema i had a very busy february so i wasn't really at the cinema much the last thing I saw in a room with a large number of people with the lights out on a big screen was actually an episode of Doctor Who. That was fantastic. That was my last cinema experience. But I've no idea what the last film I saw in the cinema was. Might have been Rise of Skywalker, actually, So, which I liked. Well, I liked it as well. But I think it's quite good that we're coming back into Marvel more by accident than the design with the Black Widow film. Funnily enough, there's a link in that that is set in the past. And Captain Marvel, to my surprise, is set in 1995. And that's yeah. what I alluded to. There are bits of it that are deliberately designed to look like a sci-fi TV series from around them. But I also found that the 90s period detail in it and the references weren't laid on with a trowel. They were things that would get a laugh out of you from spotting them, like the Blockbuster video store, like the Hudsucker proxy in True Lies on the shelf in Blockbuster, like her using Alta Vista in a web cafe. Yeah, yeah, they weren't kind of ha, 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 old things reference points. It was stuff that we were just used to. It just vanished because it became outmoded. I think that was a really clever way to go about it. And it's also, I think, it's asking us to, you're setting these two worlds against each other, aren't you? You're setting a sort of past about which we could be nostalgic 
But we can't be nostalgic because she's having to put up with misogyny and having, you know, her attempt to become a pilot blocked. She's putting up with it. it you know, it's like all the nostalgia 70s stuff. Actually, if you look at it with a clearer eye, there's not much to be nostalgic about. And at the same time, we're being offered this vision of the Cree future, which again could be tantalising and something that we would buy into. And we're being asked to look more carefully at that and understand what's going on underneath the surface. So we've got these two worlds set against each other, I think, both of which have a powerful pull on our imaginations, a kind of nostalgia for the past or our kind of utopian leanings for some sort of shiny future. And we're being asked to say, look at them and go, well, actually, maybe neither of these are good enough. And we need to think a little bit more carefully about what we're doing here. So it's very clever. And, and then obviously, it's, you know, showing me the 90s, I'm always going to be happy about. So. <laughs> <laughs> so I fall for it. But then I also fall for the kind of shiny towers. So, you know, but yeah, it's saying tread carefully here. And there's also the great soundtrack, which is full mm. of people like Hole, Elastica, yeah. Cheryl Crow. I've been listening to that I don't think PJ Harvey's on the soundtrack, but she's on the poster yeah. in the background, which is great. Yeah, and obviously Nirvana as well. So no, it's I mean it's a fantastic, fantastic soundtrack. So it's really, really good. One of the things they do straight away, opening in the kind of Cree setting, is we see her as part of a really quite a diverse team. So there's other women around her. There's you know various you know she is human, but people are from other species. So we see her as part of a sort of diverse team, very active and all these sort of. So again, I mean part of the point of the film is that our expectations are being played with over this. We're being shown a sort of tempting vision of the future which were then asked to unpeel the other interesting thing about that again would it be the same for anyone who didn't really know but certainly subverted my expectations were you mentioned the Cree, who basically mm. in the comics were effectively more or less the good guys they were you know the supermen okay. from outer space who yeah. did beneficial things and the scrolls who were the other alien race and this was sort of you know embittered angry lashing out and they kind of flipped that here because the Cree are kind of nietzsche and supermen they consider yeah. i mean this goes through things like guardians of the galaxy and agents of shield as well what yeah. they want is all that matters and the scrolls they are downtrodden they're desperate they're like refugees almost but they still have a humanity and logic that they do not have yeah. in the comics i think that is such a clever spin on it and i think both are really being set up for the future of the films that's really going to work i think it's very very good it reminds me of a, this very good short story by william gibson called the gernsback continuum the conceit of it is that the futures that were imagined in sort of 1930s pulp magazines come true but actually when you look at those they were sort of Nietzschean white supremacist fantasies yeah <laughs> actually a really unpleasant future and I think I think it's doing exactly the same thing it's obviously making us think about refugee crises around the world and what I think is a really nice touch is the makeup of the scroll again you sort of see the influence of Peter Jackson visually on these they look like the orcs who are completely othered in those movies. I mean, I think the orcs in those movies are probably get a worse deal than they do in the books, and that's not great in the books. But in this, you're being absolutely asked, even if you have no sort of knowledge of the comics, you're being absolutely asked to interrogate your instinctive reaction to something that's different, which is all to the good, I think. That's the whole point of the film, is sort of overturning that and finding commonality where you wouldn't expect it. Very, very nicely done, sort of sort through and designed and 
those twists work really well. It's even down to the cat, isn't it? No, it's not a cat. Yes, I wanted to mention Goose the Flurkin, who stole my heart in this film. I mean, I was familiar with Goose anyway, and I do yeah. have a Lego Captain Marvel jet plane, which has Goose in it, in the secret compartment, but Goose just adds another element to it. Oh, no, it's beautifully done. Uh, yeah, I mean, we all, you know, I, I wish I could secretly explode my head and fling a load of tentacles at people. I mean, <laughs> some people might say I do. <laughs> That's a great bit when the scrolls spot Goose and just leap back shouting, Whoa. ah, it's a flurkin! Yeah, yeah. And you're waiting for the eye to go as well. Yeah. You're waiting for Fury's eye and you think it's gone and, oh, no, no, no. And yeah. then, oh, no, it's the cat. <laughs> it's the cat that does it. Yeah, because we do get to see Nick Fury and Phil Coulson from S.H.I.E.L.D. in much younger versions themselves done very, very well, actually. It does actually really look like the young Samuel L. Jackson on screen. I do wonder if the young Clark Gregg has always looked the same <laughs> He's got that that kind of face and expression, but it's really well done. And it fills in a lot of the backstory to where Nick Fury's idea for the Avengers came from, where a lot of the kind of operational things that were already in place at the start of the MCU kind of originated. It was just nice as we came towards the end of it and they weren't going to feature in Endgame to give them a bit of recognition there. I really appreciated that. And that moment where he looks at her picture and sees what her call sign was and deletes the Protector Initiative deletes that and put Avenger. I was punching the air. That is one of the most feminist moments of the film for me because he literally inscribes a woman, the name of a woman, at the birth of the Avengers project. It's a really radical moment. I think it's absolutely great because there's lots of debates and these go through all fandoms. There are books written on this about how, you know, oh, there were never any women there. There were never any fans of colour. There were never... Well, no, they always were there. They might not have had their voices heard. They might have been overlooked their histories might not have been documented but they were always there writing her name in as Captain you know Captain Marvel Avenger there at the birth it's a really really radical moment that I think is I assume is specifically aimed at the kind of people that would look at this film and go oh it's just a social justice warrior film you know it's saying to them look guys you're the ones that get your bite nicked and are left standing on the sidewalk while the superheroes go off and have the adventure yeah There are several moments in this film where you just go, whoa, you've really understood what you're doing. That's one. The other one is where Yon Rog is sort of going, you have come so far. You've learned so much. Now I believe you are ready to fight me as an equal. And she's like... We're not even, we are so far past this. <laughs> but what are you talking? The words coming out of your mouth are irrelevant. We don't even need to see that happen. He, he's been a mentor. He goes straight to irrelevance. It's a kind of beat that I think, looking at some of the reviews, that some of the reviewers just didn't get this moment at all. And it's absolutely crucial. It shows you exactly how far she's come. Bop him against the wall. But he's a flea. Well, another really important thing that I don't, think the full relevance of has really been made clear to people yet is that again this is something where I was really excited when I noticed this and I remember almost babbling it to my sister after we saw the film and she didn't quite understand what was going on about but obviously Carol reconnects with Maria Rambo who was a best friend and colleague in the Air Force and Maria's daughter Monica now Monica Rambo is again one of the most significant female Marvel characters one of the first proper fully fledged black superhero characters they had was Captain Marvel herself at one point right yeah she's going to be featured as an adult in the Disney Plus series starting from WandaVision I think 
to have Monica and her attitude on board is a real step forward, I think. I mean, I just want to see it because she's one of my favourite characters, but I think people are going to be taken as equally by surprise as how powerful in both senses she is in it. And this is the kind of thing that I would not know. I still take a phenomenal amount of power from seeing that relationship on screen. Well, all of those relationships, actually, that whole nexus of female relationships that you see, the powerful mentor that they've had in Marvel or Lawson, she is, isn't she? And then you see the strength of the bond of the female friendship and the mutual support that they've given each other in this really quite hostile environment. And also you see the daughter and now I've got, so she's kind of, you know, Monica for me was symbolising young women, girls watching this movie. But now I know there's kind of like a, you know, real context, you know, further context to it. But I think what this nexus of women's relationships gives a, a sort of greater integrity to the world of the film. Um, Joanna Ross, the feminist science fiction writer, talks about how you don't see many women. She's writing in the 70s. You don't see many women in science fiction. You see the image of women in science fiction. But when you get actual women, the story world unfolds and you have to take into account things like, well, who's doing the childcare? Who's doing the cooking? Who's doing the washing up? And you see all of this on screen in Captain Marvel. You see, you know, there's a single mother. You see how obviously Carol has been supportive in, you know, helping bring up that girl just as a, you know, someone there to support her. You see them doing washing up. There's lots of these sort of warp and weft moments that are the conditions of possibility, which mean that superheroes can fly off into the night. And that's another reason I think it's a feminist film. They put the women on screen. They put the women's stories on screen. But they also put the full world on screen, which is a, a logical corollary of having female characters. It's absolutely brilliant. It's really good. Keep the Tesseract on Earth. Hidden. You sure that's what Marvel would want? Marvel. That's what I said. It's two words. Marvel. Marvel. Marvel sounds a lot better. You know, like the Marvelettes. Wait, oh yes, wait a minute, Mr. Postman. Wait, Mr. Postman. Not ringing any bells? Keep singing, maybe it'll come back to me. I upgraded it. Range should be a couple galaxies at least. What? You think I'm gonna crank call you? For emergencies only, okay? It's going to get even bigger because, again, coming up on Disney Plus, it's going to be a series of the current Ms. Marvel, Kamala Khan, who's basically a Muslim teenager who was a Carol Danvers fangirl who accidentally acquired powers while being a fan of this great feminist superhero oh, icon. This so, is, this is singing to my heart. <laughs> this is. <laughs> absolutely brilliant I, I did know about this character actually but i yeah that that's absolutely great oh i'm loving that yeah good because we've not really seen that and that fangirl experience has been such a major part of my life and i've never really seen it you know we've we see more positive representations perhaps of, of, of male fans i mean galaxy quest obviously i think it's a big disservice that joss whedon does is in buffy is turning the fans into you know the big bad but that kind of fangirl thing i've, I've seen a couple of novels and things 
but I've never seen it sort of positively represented and, you know, thought through and, and mediated and, and mythologised in its own way. I'm really excited about that. Well, I feel a bit guilty now to be turning things back towards a man, but we can't get away from the fact that the film opens with a tribute caption to Stan Lee. And yeah, he makes, true. technically, his very last cameo in it. I mean, there is the Endgame one after it and kind of virtual ones in some more of the Netflix series and so on, but I understand this was the last one filmed. I can't decide whether this is breaking the fourth wall or not because Stan's character across all the films is baffling as to whether he understands what's going on or not. But Carol is looking for a scroll on a train, checking yeah. various people, and she comes across Stan Lee reading the script for his cameo in Mole Rats. And he looks at it in kind of almost like a fatherly way. Yeah, yeah. And actually, when they reissued, shortly after Endgame was first out, it was reissued to cinemas with a new introduction, basically saying, thank you for making the highest grossing film ever. They put some new bits in a kind of mini feature slot, one of which is Brie Larson, paying tribute to Stan Lee. And it was absolutely heartstring tugging. You know, somebody that I assume maybe she even only met him that one time. But yeah, it really, yeah. really struck me. But it's just so lovely, though, that it's a world within the world. He is referencing a film that existed at that time that he was in. It just hurts your head. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's a, it's just an absolutely lovely bit. And even someone who's not as informed about Marvel as I am, I, I am always looking out to see Stan Lee there. And then that whole bit at the start is just, it's, it's just all lovely, isn't it? That You'd have to be hard of heart not to be sniffling a bit of that, I think. Well, of course, we do get the two customary post credit scenes, which are both fascinating in their own way. One cuts back to the Avengers between Infinity or rather what's left of the Avengers, looking at the pager, trying to work out what it's doing, when suddenly it stops working, and they're just discussing what to do about it stopping working. When Captain Marvel appears behind them, basically just barks, where's Fury? (laughs) That is a great moment of reminding you what's about to happen. Yeah, it's the game changer, isn't it? The serious weapons are here now. The big guns have arrived. Yeah, we're, we're not messing about any longer. She looks, she's playing it really differently. They've styled her hair differently. There's something a bit more sombre about her. So you think this is probably someone who's who's seen a war now. I just want a, a shout out for her performance, actually, because I think she's very, very centred throughout you just see this sort of steady rising. There's always a kind of confidence to her, but you just see it sort of steadily being released and freed and come out from constraint until she's just, I'm getting tingly talking about it. She's just powerful and it it's just beautiful. To, it's not, it's not a sudden tip or anything like that. It's a steady, slow burn. And it's been a slow burn from when she was a very young girl. It's not just the encounter with the strange that's made this happen to her. This is a slow burn that's happened from when she was very small. And then you see her come into her full powers and it's chef's kiss. It's wonderful. And I would say the last word goes to, but technically it's the last retching sound goes to Goose, who earlier in the film had eaten the Tesseract, you know, the, the cube with the space stone in, and yep. just regurgitates it back as if copying up a hairball onto Nick Fury's desk starting everything that's going to kick off happening it all comes from a cat being sick (laughs) (laughs) so much does in life I think it's a really interesting spin on Fury as well I think it's really interesting what they do with him in this film that he's he's the buddy he's the he's the sidekick he's almost the comic relief he's almost sort of um for Blake Seven Pants he's almost the villa to her Avon you know (laughs) 
yeah. He's the hero here. You know, he's the he's the guy going, you know, it's going to take four minutes for this to download. <laughs> You're the one with the shiny fists. It's just played really, really well because, you know, we see a very, very different fury in the other films. But this is someone this is someone and he just contains that performance. Uh, uh, there's something very, very likable about big stars containing their performance to let somebody else become the the star of their movie but you know she is giving this great performance but he is supporting it he, he's he's making her the star of this movie it's a really really good and generous performance i love seeing him as the sidekick it's absolutely great and then you've got i guess you've got two other guys as well haven't you you've got jude law who's who goes from you know most important figure in her life to irrelevance you've got ben mendelson's character who i i think of sort of i think of him as her peer in a way she is going to be joining his battle he's got to convince her of his truth but she's also got to convince him that she is not what she was and we see him embedded in a family situation as well i think she's also very interesting so he, he again were being shown that the truth of these stories is that they take place within a wider context there are children and non-fighters, non-competents embroiled in these wars as well. It's a lovely performance from him as well. And Ben Mendelsohn as Talos and Captain Marvel will be back in the near future, which is great. And to be honest with you, a Blake 7 analogy is all I've ever <laughs> wanted out of any of these. So there's just one thing left <laughs> me to ask done. now. Una, if you had cosmic abilities derived from energy absorption and projection, what would you use them for? I would use them for good. <laughs> 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 However, Nicely I'm ambiguously stated. <laughs> Una, thank you, and Excelsior. Thank you. If you've enjoyed this, don't forget you can find more editions of It's Good Except It Sucks and plenty more besides, including details of my book Can't Help Thinking About Me at timworthington.org.